read together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul, I'd like you to put the slide up that uh, shows the Beatitudes in chart form. I'd like to borrow some thoughts from Martin Lloyd Jones as we as we look at the Beatitudes here. Uh, we we understand first on the left column verses number number one, two, and three. Uh, this shows us how destitute we are in our need. Uh, before that, we bring nothing to Him. Uh, we come instead to mourn our sins, and even as we mourn and and forsake our sins, uh, we um, are are made meek by the Holy Spirit. That is, we are humble before God, and we are gentle in our dealing with uh, our fellow man. And that leads us, uh, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, interesting, I think there's some truth to it, uh, to the high point uh, of, the, of the Beatitudes uh, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We live on this earth desiring with a whole heart to reflect God's glory and to live for righteousness. And that leads us in a lifestyle, then, of, of being merciful to other people, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker. We are living out righteousness. And the outcome of that is that people will be distressed. People will be angry with us. People will persecute those who live for righteousness' sake. But one of the things that Martin Lloyd-Jones says that I think is particularly uh, interesting uh, is that he goes on to say that there is a link between the, the pairs of, of, the, of, the, of the Beatitudes here. The one who is poor in spirit cannot help but be merciful to others. If you bring nothing to God, you are simply a recipient of His grace. You will be. If you perceive that properly, if you are poor in spirit, you will, you will be a merciful person. If you mourn for sin, that's the only way that you can peel away the unrighteousness in your life and to reflect to greater and greater degree the purity in heart that, reflect, that is Jesus and that he also works in us. And finally, it is the meek person who is gentle and, and uh, lowly as he seeks uh, to bring peace uh, in relationships that he is involved in or is he's helping other people resolve. There is no way that we can be effective peacemakers without uh, that meekness. But today, then, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And isn't this, isn't this what every Christian truly wants? To see God in whatever way we can here on this earth, 
as we await seeing him face to face in glory. And it is something that no non-Christian would want at all. This again is a beatitude that separates the world from the Christian. The Christian, the one who is pure in heart to live for God's glory, is the one who will see God face to face. Well, there are four questions that I want us to look at as we consider this brief text. What is the heart, first of all? Um, What is a pure heart, second of all? How do you get a pure heart, third of all? And then fourth, what is the reward for this purity of heart? Now, some people can center on one part of the human personality as opposed to others and think that this is the central part of of the human that that Jesus would call the heart. Uh, Some people uh, would say that the heart focuses on our intellect, our understanding of what you know. And it is absolutely true that we must know facts, truths about God to be a Christian. We must know that God is three persons and yet one God. We must know that Jesus is divine and human, two natures in one person. But just knowing those details does not mean you are changed. You must love him. You must be all in to know and delight and to follow this Lord. Now others will say, well, it's about our emotional life. But the heart is more than what you feel or your emotions. Some may measure their life with God on the basis of how they feel, their passions. And when they are feeling it, man, things are great. And when they are not, then God is suspect. Don't let feelings guide your faith, but your faith to guide your feelings. The third thing that the heart is not is focused merely on what you do or the appearances. Uh, The Pharisees, of course, uh, looked like righteous leaders of the day, were considered as such, but Jesus is very clear in saying inside they are rotting corpses. And we think of ourselves, how often do we do the right thing but without love for God? Kids, your parents have frequently told you to go make right with the sibling that you've just offended in some way. And you go to that sibling and you say, I'm sorry, all right. Is that obedience? We come to church, we look good, we drop money in the plate, but do we love God? Is that why we do this? It is a very easy thing to get caught up in the externals and our hearts are far from the truth. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, the center of who you are deep down. And of course, the heart includes all three. It includes our mind. It includes our emotions. It includes our will, our choosing. It is in fact the fountain of all our goodness that flows out from a Holy Spirit renewed heart. Jesus says, keep your heart, with, or the proverb says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 
And yet we also know that our hearts are also a fountain at times of dirty water. Jesus saying, from out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and slander. And Paul describes the struggle that is within the human heart. We may want to do right, he says in Romans 7, but evil is right there alongside of us. We delight in the law of God in our minds. It is beautiful. It is right. It is good. It is holy. We love it. We truly do. And yet there is a war in our members, not just our hands and feet, but also our thoughts and emotions and desires. There is a war in our members that at times we are captive, Paul says, to sin. But the heart is that center of our human existence, including, uh, of course, uh, mind, emotions, and will with an outflowing of our behavior from that heart. Well, what is a pure heart? What is a pure heart? It is, first of all, a heart that is cleansed by God. A heart that is cleansed by God. Not, first of all, something we do to clean ourselves up, but it is cleansed by God. We walk around with guilty consciences at times, wondering, well, what if it could be washed clean? Is that even possible? We know that sin separates us from God. And yet the grace of his forgiving mercy removes every single reason that God has or would have to reject us. Listen to the Spirit's work in cleansing us. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. A new heart, then, is a gift of God, not something that we can manage, not something that we can work up on our own as we set goals and seek to improve our lives. The second thing a pure heart is, it is single-minded love for God. Single-minded in love for God. There is a sincerity about it. There's a lack of hypocrisy. Unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 86. Unite my heart to fear your name. It is single-minded love for God. As Thorn Kierkegaard said, it is a purity of heart is to will one thing. And in this Christian sense, it is to will, it is to will love for God in all that you do. And yet we recognize our hearts are unruly. There are demands on us that tear our hearts apart. We want a certain kind of family. We demand that. We want a certain level of health. We want a certain level of money, a certain kind of house, certain kind of friends. We have these things that war in us. And we can be seduced by Satan's lie that if you had just this one thing, then you'd be happy. But it is a daily prayer that we make instead. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let me praise you above all. 
And that is a tug of war in our hearts, isn't it? A good way to think about this, a good way to even examine your own heart, is what do you daydream about when you're driving down the road? You don't have to be thinking about anything. You're not thinking about work, perhaps, or maybe you are. But, but where does your mind gravitate to as you consider, you're considering the things that you want to see happen or the things that you want to have? What do you love most? Or who do you, whom do you love most? Do your actions and words truly reflect your heart? Or do they cover up your heart? Do you speak and do certain things that are in complete contradiction to your heart? Who has a pure heart? Well, this leads us to our third question, is how do you get a pure heart? Of course, only God, as we've said, can give a new heart. Only God can make you good. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He also purifies us and makes us good. And only God can give us clean hands through the the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that we can have pure hearts and we can ascend into the mountain of the Lord just as we are right now and be in his presence without being vaporized or becoming toast. It is by his grace. Perhaps you have never come to the point in your life where, where you've asked the Lord to renew you and to give you a new heart and to forgive your sins. And you could honestly admit right now that you do not have a pure heart. You recognize that it is overcome with your own evil desires. Reading a report from um, David Pallison this past week about some of the voices that he heard, voices, things that came to his mind as, as, he, was, as he was being challenged to, to step over the line and to trust Christ. To step over the line, not just talk about him, but to acknowledge his lordship and to receive mercy from heaven, from his death. And, and this is the, these are the thoughts that he had. Perhaps you've had them, perhaps you do have them even now. You're too unclean. You're a hopeless case. God would never accept you. And if you did go to Christ, you would pollute him. He wouldn't help you. But through all of that clutter, hear this. Jesus is calling you today. Come to him. He stands ready. He is calling you home. And he will wash you clean. And he will renew your heart. And he can give this single-minded love for God. For well, those of you who are uh, believers, uh, you might sincerely ask the question, can God give an undivided heart? I mean, that sounds really good, but mine's got a huge civil war going on. Part of you admires righteousness. 
part of you admires the beauty of love and of mercy and forgiveness and of faithfulness and of honor and of obedience. Some part of you loves that. But also a part of you wants what you want. And you want things to go your way. And they stand in in the way of having this pure heart. You may have private indulgences. Indulge your thinking, your desires. You may have compromises that you consistently make, knowing that they're wrong. Wives, you may have felt some resistance as we read the scripture this morning. Who is he, my husband, to tell me what to do, to lead me in any way whatsoever? Clean up your own act first, we might think. Husbands, perhaps you resist this call uh, to care for your wives' uh, hearts, and you ignore her. And when you do pay attention, you drift into harshness way, way too soon. You see these battles going on in, in your heart. You may try to climb out of that hole scratching the sides of that of that cylinder, that silo. But for you too, God's word says, come to Jesus. He stands ready. And he is calling you home every day. For this purity of heart is a path. It is a journey. It is a process. It is not in this life our final destination. And yet the Spirit does wash us deeply and thoroughly. And bit by bit, he strips off your polluting thoughts and purifies your heart so that you are growing to love God more. That's the Spirit's work. Well, what is, what is the reward uh, for this pure heart? We're drawn to, we're drawn to uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 for this, aren't we? We are seeing our returning Savior later on. The reward for living in submission to the Lord, in trust in Christ, and pursuing that pure heart is the reward of seeing Christ in all of his glory one day. What kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Behold, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, the great appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You've tasted the Father's love. You have been called children of God. And he gives you that vision of the returning Christ in all his glory, and you will be pure at that time. The job will be completed. Your longing will be satisfied. Nothing here and now can fulfill that but the vision of Christ to come. 
And that hope fuels your commitment to purity now. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Is John saying that if you are not serious about living with a pure heart and seeking fellowship with God and seeking that, that close union with him as a result that, that produces this purity of life, you really don't care about seeing Jesus one day. But that thought that everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, that thought dug in and imprinted on your heart revolutionizes your life. Everything else becomes insignificant or less significant. Of course we would like to see a vision of Jesus on that mountain alongside Moses and Elijah where the light and the glory of Christ splashed around that mountain and, and the three disciples there were just cowering in fear. Of course we would like to have something like the Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus experience where the, he saw the risen Christ and, and the light of this risen Christ splashed on him and he heard that voice and it revolutionized his life. Of course we want those things. But Jesus makes himself accessible to us. To see him now and to move towards this life of purity of heart. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And we see him too. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to bring Jesus close to us. We bring, he brings Jesus close to us so that we can, we can see and marvel at his almighty power. We too can be out on that boat, as it were, mentally out on that boat with the disciples. And when Jesus flattened that storm to make it a sea of glass, what really scared them that day was that, was that the wind and the waves obeyed the voice of Jesus. We get a glimpse of how almighty he is in our lives as well. The Spirit also shows us Jesus' tenderness and gentleness. You are one of those smoldering wicks that he does not snuff out. He does not dispense with you. He does not push you aside. He even brings suffering into your life. And he blows gently on that smoldering wick to produce a flame of faith and righteousness. Do you, do you see that? It is seeing Jesus that makes us pursue a life of purity. Parents, how can that re just revolutionize your, your, your parenting? We, we are so quick to simply give commands and, and punish misdeeds. But if along with that we gave them a vision of Jesus who loves them, who is with them, who will strengthen them, who will enable them to put up with the bully next door. Let them see Jesus 
along with these commands that we give. So you see how it affects your witness. I loved what Bradley said last week, the brother from Puerto Rico. One of the things that they're, they're seeing in their church as they are living down there in Arroyo, they are one of their, I don't know if it's even stated as a purpose or not, but they show their neighbors their, the joy that they have in the Lord. They, they see the Lord, which gives them joy. And, and that affects, affects their witness. So, my dear friends, is your greatest hope to see Jesus face to face? Is that your greatest hope? You long for it. Paul puts it this way. um, Set your affections on things above where Christ Your life is seated at the right hand of God. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a pure heart? My question is not, are you a pretty good person? Or even a religious one? Do you have a new God-given heart? And if you can honestly say this morning, don't think so. Don't see any evidence of it. Never ask for it. Don't really know what that's about. Ask him now. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Wash me. And make me new. You may be a Christian, you may have been a Christian for a long time, and yet you must also admit that selfish thoughts pollute your mind still, and the world's comforts draw you more than you know they should. Well, here's where Martin Lloyd-Jones steps in again to help us. If you want a pure heart, if you want a pure heart, you've got to take the morning part seriously. If you want a pure heart... That means you can't just think about your sins or try not to think about them. It means you must confess them. It means you must walk away from them. It means finding the joy of forgiveness in which the bondage of sin is broken. And it happens when you go back to Jesus every single day and say, help me. And then say, thank you. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we pray your work in in our lives, each one of us, wherever we are. We need you to do work with us. We, We need to be honest with you about our own sin. Not looking at the sins of others, but our own sin. And find mercy, cleansing, 
and perhaps today even a new heart, a new heart. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at such work in us, that our love for Jesus would be transparent, that our lives would be full of joy, because we can't take our eyes off the promise of the great appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that shape us. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.